Uh, what I want to do um, now is I'd like to introduce our guest speaker. So I'm speaking doing announcements, but we have a very special guest speaker today. And just to give you a little context, so we're in a sermon series. We're in a th part three of a sermon series called The Invitation to Transformation. And the last couple of weeks, we looked at a couple of scriptures in the book of Romans and Corinthians about how, how God brings about growth and how he brings about change in the hearts and minds of, of people. And it really is an impossible thing, but with God's help, and his intervention, we can actually experience, that's part of the good news of Jesus, that we can actually experience transformation of the, the sins that are in our lives and the, the, our hang-ups and all those things are made possible through what Jesus did in the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And uh, today's uh, guest speaker, his name is John Chafee. You, some of you may know him as he's been attending our church, what, seven, eight months or so, maybe or so. So he's been around, so you might see, recognize a familiar face. But I'm really excited for John to speak today. John comes, he's an adjunct professor at Eastern University. He actually is a graduate of Eastern. Do we have any uh, Eastern alum in here? Oh, right, look at that. Go Eastern. All right, and Palmer Theological Seminary as well, as well as, I think he has a second master's degree from Princeton Theological Seminary, which is incredible. So he's a well-studied guy, super intelligent guy, and he, but he's really passionate about, it just so happens that God, the things that God has put on in his heart that he's passionate about are what we've been talking about. Really, I think who we are as a church. And I just was amazed by that. And I said, John, you know, the things that he talks about for fun in the lobby is basically what we're talking about in the sermon series. So I was like, wow, we got to get him out here and, um, you know, have him share some of his unique perspective. And John just loves Jesus. He has tons of ministry experience. Uh, he's auth actually authored several books. I think you'd find him a great guy to talk with. And after the service, I'm sure uh, if you want to just, you know, pick his brain about whatever. But uh, particularly as it comes to our transformational journey, uh, what John's bringing today is actually in alignment with something that uh, the pastoral team has been thinking and praying about. I'll, I'll let him explain what that is uh, more later. But um, I'm, I'm just really excited to have John come speak to us today, and I think it's going to be a real treat. Now, the other thing is that John is an expert at speaking during uh, tornado warnings, so uh, he's great. So would you welcome John Chafee. <laughs> Good morning. Hi. Let's, let's do this. Here we go. Ben, here we go. All right. All right. Well, this is a privilege. Thank you so much. I am intimidated, even though I've preached many times in different contexts. And sometimes you still never get over it. And I want to say, uh, I think you have something special going on here at this collection, at this group of people, this eclectic gathering. And I say that with full earnestness. I'm not trying to flatter anyone. I think that you have something special here because I don't feel the need to impress you. <laughs> and sometimes that can happen when you stay in front of a group of people. You want to shine well, and I feel very fortunate. This feels like a vulnerable group. This feels like a vulnerable space, and that's wonderful, especially for the topic we're going to talk about. Now, I know that most of you don't know me at all, so let me share just a little bit about you so you can have a brief schematic of what my soul looks like. I was born in Atlantic City. I grew up at the beach, and my head and heart are still there, okay? <laughs> so my demeanor tends to be a little bit slower in some ways, but I, 
I just love beach culture. And I was raised by two educators. My dad was an auctioneer, and he taught in an auctioneering school. So I grew up watching him in front of like literally 1,000, 2,000 people, being like, I gave one, I gave one, I gave two, I gave two, I gave two, right? And so I got used to it. I'm like, oh, so this is normal. Everybody's dad gets in front of 2,000 people, and somehow, magically, my dad became funnier when there's a group of people. Because when you're the son, you're just thinking, you're, you're dumb. You're not funny. But then when he got in front of a group of people, it was so fun because he would, he would take two couples, and then he would make them start, uh, not make them, in the auctioneering world, he would in, invite each of them to try to start outbidding each other for a product that was being sold up on stage, and then in front of everyone, he would start talking to each of their wives. So, oh, so you're, yeah. My mom was a, a college professor at Cabrini University, and my mom taught an education program. And so she would actually emphasize, how do we teach the next generation how to read? Her specialty was uh, literacy. And so this word up here, transformation, was what she was always about. I grew up at the beach hearing my parents have conversations about what a classroom is supposed to feel like. And both of my parents were very much against this other word, transmission, versus transformation. In the classroom setting, maybe you can remember, think back to middle school or high school, math, calculus, chemistry, those were often transmission model, trying to transmit information to you that then you had to say back in a test or quiz. Remember those? But... Uh, a different kind of classroom is one that's not interested in transmission of information, but about the transformation of the person. Think about the teachers that helped you to grow as a person, even though they taught calculus, even though they failed you in gym. <laughs> we remember those teachers because they spoke to something inside of us. And unfortunately, church groups, sometimes uh, I've been in ministry settings or I've talked with other people, and they get frustrated. Why, isn't, why aren't we making an impact? Why aren't people changing their lives? And it's like, well, it's because you're doing transmission model church. All you're doing is just transmitting new information all the time, and you're not really doing transformation. So this is a great series. It's a great one to do. So let's dive into it. I'm going to pray for us. I've got some slides to run through. And uh, in, in a moment, after I pray, I'll explain the slips of paper on the white tables, okay? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the gift of life, the gift of faith, and the gift of the church. And so please be with us now in this time. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you take a look at the white tables, you'll see something like this. We're really just going to talk through this. We're going to read a passage from uh, the book of Hebrews. But feel free to take notes on this. Uh, I am a professor of uh, Christian spirituality. And it's so fun to talk about this circle with college students. Okay? So let's do this. Let's see that we do this slide well. I pressed the mouse button. <laughs> Click. 
flick. This is. There it is. This is a picture I found this week. Just wanted to share it. Person on the left says, You've changed. The person on the right says, We're supposed to. In a previous week, there was a a pictorial that was given of a seed to sapling to tree to forest. Do you remember that? That's the thing. What does it look like to continue growing, to continue changing, to keep maturing our whole life long? Uh, This is just a fun picture I I thought I had to share. Now, I only pressed it once. There we go. Maybe give it a moment. So the letter of Hebrews, maybe you know this book in the New Testament, it's often overlooked. We think it was written roughly around the time when the temple was destroyed in AD 70 in Jerusalem. But guess what? We have no idea who the author is. The first chapter might have been lost by maybe being eaten by beetles in the desert, I don't know, on the scroll. But we have no idea who wrote this. It's an anonymous letter, but it's an interesting one because it's about... You who were Jewish and converted to Christianity, they were then worshiping in catacombs and in desert places. And every day they'd walk past the temple thinking, let's just go back to being Jewish. Let's just go back to Judaism. The temple's far more impressive than the little house gatherings we got. And so this whole letter was written in the context of keep moving forward in faith, don't move back. And if you were to read it chapter by chapter, you would notice that. Here we go. There we go. So we're going to read Hebrews 5, and then it carries over into chapter 6. All right? Here we go. We have much to say about this, but it is hard to make clear to you because you no longer try to understand. Imagine what tone the pastor said that in. In fact... Though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. It's a little bit of a beat down. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. There's a little bit of reference back there to the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And then it carries over into chapter 6. Whatever monk decided to make the chapter change there, I don't know what they were thinking. Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God, instruction about cleansing rites, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And God permitting, we will do so. Now, I want to look back just very quickly. When it says, let us move beyond the elementary teachings, one of the things we have to ask is, uh, how many of you have ever ridden a tricycle when you were a child? Remember those? Okay. Now, do you remember how comical it is to see an adult riding a kid's tricycle? Like those little clown bicycles? 
unless you move beyond the elementary teachings in faith, you're like riding a child's tricycle when you're 47. And so this other word happens, maturity. It's this fascinating word. We're going to talk about it towards the end, but pay attention because so much of transformation has to do with maturity. Remember, a sapling or a seed to a sapling to a tree to a forest, that's a process of maturity, not a process of perfection. Sorry, Enneagram ones. Now, up here, we also have this word repentance. Do you see this? So I have a, another version of the Bible. This is a recent one came out by Scott McKnight. If you feel stuck in faith, 100%. Start reading the Bible in a new translation. It'll put out different nuances for you. This version says, uh, do not lay again the foundation of con conversion. Over and over and over and over and over. Conversion's good. I'm not saying it doesn't belong. But if you have a room full of 100 people that have already converted, you don't need to preach to them about conversion every single week. You know? Some might be in here who haven't done that. We're going to talk about that next. Ready? It says to move beyond the elementary teachings. But the author does something frustrating. They don't tell us what the next things are. The rest of chapter 6 doesn't have a list so we're left with a question, or, or rather, we're left with a series of questions. What are the middle school teachings of faith? What's high school? What about college-level faith? What's master's or doctoral level? What are we supposed to be learning that builds upon turning away from sin, that builds upon the laying of hands, that builds upon baptism, that builds upon? It doesn't do away with them. Those are the foundations. But don't lay again and again and again and again and again the foundation not, and think, why aren't I being transformed? There we go. Here's some good news. Growing in faith is not a matter of information. It's a matter of transformation. And to go back to my parents, it's not about transmission of information. It's about something else. So, we're going to talk through this piece of paper right in front of you, okay? So all frameworks are wrong, every single one of them, no matter what you know, but some are more helpful than others, and I think this is an incredibly helpful one, all right? Now, this book is called The Critical Journey, and it was written by two people, uh, Gulick and Hagberg, Janet and Robert, and it... It was a little bit of a, I don't want to say it was groundbreaking, but it certainly put to words what actually all of church history has thought about for a very long time. Now, how many of you remember Maslow's hierarchy, that pyramid, and like you, you, whether or not you're thriving or not, if you're hitting all those things, right? Sometimes we get uncomfortable with talking about stages of growth because it's almost as though sometimes like, well, I'm at stage 17 and you're only at four. Right? But that condescension has no place in the kingdom. That's not a posture of love. And so if anybody takes that posture with you, they're really not at 17. <laughs> See what I mean? You can hear it in the words. 
I'm going to literally talk through each of these six. Then we're going to talk about how the life of Paul does them. I'm going to share a few things. And then actually I'm going to invite you to talk with each other, just the person on your left or on your right or anybody near you, just for a moment. Okay? So before you hit stage one of faith, you're an atheist. You haven't had any experiences of God whatsoever. That belongs. That stage of faith belongs. But you, then at some point you experience faith. I did somewhere in late high school, early into college experience. Started to have experiences of infinite beauty, goodness, truth, love, and I couldn't put words to it other than the word G-O-D. And as a result of having some of these deep experiences, I was like, I need to know more about this. What's going on here with this infinite goodness, beauty, truth, and love that's intimate and personal? And so then I started going to Bible studies. I started taking Bible classes at Eastern in college. Maybe you started coming to church and listening to the sermons in a brand new way because all of a sudden you had an experience you needed help understanding. And so stage two is we then often go about learning about God after we've experienced God. Stage three. After I finished college and then I went to seminary, I then started working in churches, and that sounds like the right thing to do. And now I have all this knowledge, and now let me go share it with people. Maybe help them to have their own experiences. It's all good. It all belongs. Every stage belongs. Maybe you have already volunteered a number of times in ways here with this group. If that's the case, good job. You're already at stage three. But there's more to go. Now, here's the part that gets very tricky. You see this line up here called the wall? This is often where people leave the faith, but they don't know why. This is where people start to have real issues with the church, or they start to have resentment towards it, but they don't know why. This is the wall because after experiencing God and learning about God and even serving God, all of a sudden you feel like you slam into a brick wall and it feels like life fell apart. All of a sudden, all of your good experiences, all that you knew about God and all the theological accuracy that you had pride about, then all the ways in which I was serving God, so why did I lose my job? I was serving God, so why did I get fired? I was serving God, so why did that car accident happen? Why did that cancer come about? Why did that divorce happen? The wall slams into us more than we slam into it because we didn't choose it. And the wall makes us rethink and ask, was my experience of God true? Or was it all just made up? What about my, my learning about God? Was it completely wrong? I thought God blesses the people that don't sin anymore. Why does my life all of a sudden feel like a toilet and is going down? I'm just going to stop serving God. Pastors and people that work in church, they slam into a wall that they were never warned about, and then they leave the faith. And I actually think one of the things that's happening right now culturally in our milieu in America is I think we've got a lot of people hitting their wall, but they have no one to give them advice about how to do it. Now, uh, how many of you have ever heard of the 16th century Spanish poem, The Dark Night of the Soul? Yeah? 
That's what we're talking about here. The dark night of the soul is what happens here when all of a sudden, all the things that you put faith in, you found out that they were all idols. And so God took them away one by one. Until all of a sudden, you're left alone with your mysterious, intimate, infinite experience of goodness, beauty, truth, and love that we call God. And no one understands you. (laughs) Because here's what can happen. You can be going through your own wall, your own dark night of the soul, and you might be surrounded with people that are only at stage two. And they might look at you and say, you're an atheist, you're questioning God, you're questioning authority, you're questioning the structures that be, you're no longer coming to church as much as you used to. But they don't know actually what's happening is you might be growing not regressing. Does that make sense? Because you're no longer putting an idol into how worship music makes you feel. You're no longer putting uh, your theological accuracy into something that you can be proud of. There's a humility about it now. Now, if you were to Google this online, you might see a, a few different versions of this same picture. Sometimes the drawings that you might find might put the wall after or before stage four, the interior journey. But the thing is, they're kind of connected. When life feels like you slammed into a wall and your faith crumbles because it was essentially dust anyways, you slam into the wall and all of a sudden you start looking inward. Because at stage one, you're looking outward for God and now at stage four, you're looking inward for God. God, are you here? And you start doing that internal work. If you've gone to counseling, you've probably already touched at stage four. If you've ever had a spiritual director or if you've ever sat down with a pastor one-on-one, great job. You've probably already touched at stage four a little bit because you're starting to ask questions no longer about how can I fix the world, but now how can I be fixed? No longer focusing on the evil out there, but now you're looking at the shadows in here. All of a sudden, you start to realize this beautiful thing that St. Augustine said, which, God, I looked inside my wounds and I saw you blazingly bright there. Start reading Augustine. And then after you do that inward journey, once you've had all your idols dismantled for you by God, which is then an act of love, You then go to stage five and you start relating to other people from that healed place that you came from because you just started doing some of your work. And have you ever noticed you relate differently to people that are unself-aware than you do with people who are self-aware? If you know someone who knows what their favorite sin is, they relate to people differently. And then stage six, you start to live in and as love because actually that's what the full tree is. From seed to sapling to tree to forest, maturity is about love. That's what the whole thing has always been about. And unfortunately, there is no amount of information that can ever be transmitted to you to make you into love. 
The only thing that can make you into love is to dive full scale into the infinite fire that is God so that you are like a log that is burned down of all your ego and all of a sudden you become light and warmth to those around you. Have any of you met saints like that? People that have actually dived into the experience of God and it changed them into light and life and love and you don't know why, but you want to spend more time with them. And that's because they are the Christ to you in some unique way. Anybody got tingles? I got a little tingles. I really enjoy tea. Thank you so much. This is so fun. All right. Um, there's a few kinds of silence. Did you know this? This is a side rant. Um, so there, there can be the silence when everyone's bored. You know, the silence of people falling asleep. Then there can be the silence of like, oh, what did they say? And then there can also be another kind of silence, which is everybody waits because like, oh, the next thing could be really good and I don't want to miss it. When someone explained this circle to me, I went silent. Because it's, because every one of these types of diagrams are actually a roadmap. They can help you to see where you've been, and they can see where you might be going. Now let's talk. Where's the remote? I found it. Hey! That's like telekinesis. It happened by me just thinking about it and talking about it out loud. Thank you. Thank you. All right, let's talk about Saul, the apostle. All right, let's talk about his life. He did stage one. Saul experienced God at some point in early life. Then stage two, Saul studied to be a Pharisee under Gamaliel, who was a famous rabbi of his day. So he did stage one and two. He served God by persecuting Christians, Saul. And then he slammed into a wall. When Jesus confronts Saul Paul on the road to Damascus, and then he does stage four, he disappears for 11 years to rethink everything. The text says, yeah, there were three days of the scales on his eyes, but then there's a gap where he just kind of disappears into northern Egypt, probably to be like, well, I need to rethink absolutely everything. Which, guess what? That's what the word repent means, to rethink. And then stage fives and six, uh, Paul wrote letters. Most of the New Testament was Paul writing to people from stage five or six to people that maybe hadn't experienced a wall or dark night of the soul yet. Maybe some of them did because he tells them, have faith in the midst of hardship, be joyful in the midst of uh, trouble. So when you read the New Testament, be aware we are often reading from people that are more mature on the life of faith than we are. And so if they're hard to understand, maybe it's because we haven't suffered enough. Maybe it's because we haven't done the interior journey enough yet. Maybe it's because we haven't exposed ourselves to God truthfully yet. But I promise with every tear that you learn how to cry, with every counseling session you go to, with every friendship that you learn how to be vulnerable and real with, the New Testament sparks more and more alive because it was written by vulnerable people saying this is the way to love. Click. <laughs> Click again. Hey, so... 
Just a few things to notice, and then we're going to turn to each other, okay? Every stage belongs. No stage is better than another. Just because I might think that I've hit my wall does not give me permission to ever look down on someone just because they're only at stage one. We do not have that right. You're not allowed to look down on anyone for being where you once were yourself. It's also possible to get stuck at any of these stages. I know of people that are stuck at stage three serving God and they're stuck there and they're getting more and more angry and they're just rotating the tires in the mud because they're hitting a wall and they have no one to talk about it with or they're not willing to talk about it with themselves. Every stage belongs. We can only hold the door open for other people to grow to the next stage. Just like when you go to the hotel and someone holds open the door for you, it's up to you to carry your baggage through. And uh, Rich and Teresa, Gina, other people, all they can do is hold the door open for you and invite you to keep growing. They can never shame or berate you. They can never intimidate you or incite you by force to grow to the next stage because that's not how transformation happens. Give yourself permission, though, to keep growing, even if others want to block the door to the next stage. It is possible that some people might think they're doing the loving thing for you by keeping you from going to stage four, by keeping you from talking about your own wall. Maya Angelou says one of the hardest things in life is to carry a story within us that we cannot tell. I think there's one more. Yeah. Be very careful who you talk to about your dark night of the soul, the wall. Because it's possible you might be going through the hardest season of life and faith that you've ever gone through. But if you go to someone who hadn't gone through that dark night for themselves, it's very possible they could give you really bad advice. Your life is falling apart because you stopped going to Bible studies, stage two. Your life is falling apart because by now you should have been serving the church. Instead of going to Bible studies, you should be leading them. Then you compound the problem even further. So be mindful who you share your wounds with because some people don't know how to receive them like a sacrament. Some people don't know how to hold them. It doesn't mean those people aren't there. I'm sure there's actually many people in this room who have gone through their dark night, who have gone through at least a wall. By the way, we might have several in our lifetime. Um, But Galatians says, carry one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. How lovely is that? Now, I think that's the last slide for that. Okay, I'm gonna leave that up just so you can have it as a reference point. There we go. Take two minutes, three minutes, four, just for a moment, and have this close or have this up for you, and just look at yourself Honestly, if you want, you can talk to the person next to you and just see if you can go around the circle for yourself. Can you identify how old you were at each of these stages? Where do you think you might be now? 
And so maybe turn to the person next to you, someone that you trust, and just share. What connections did you just make with the circle that I just shared with you? Go for it. Take like three minutes or so. Where did you see your life connect with one of the six stages up here? All right, let's start to circle back. Uh, you can stay seated however you are. That's not a problem. But uh, one of the fun things about being a, a professor is I plan time. I have an hour and a half usually each session, each class. And I usually plan only 45 minutes or so because I like to leave the last 45 minutes uh, for dialogue. And I actually really believe transformation happens when we're dialogical. Transmission of information is when we're monological, one-sided conversation, you know? Then it's just me trying to tell you what you need to know. I'm not interested in that because true transformative spaces not only change the student, they change the teacher. So there has to be a mutual dialogical transformative openness. Those are very big words. I hope you don't mind. Anyways, let's ask some questions together, okay? Uh, let me share with you a little bit of vulnerability first because I can't expect it of you if I don't show it. So I grew up uh, high school, experiencing God, somewhat in college, went to Bible studies, went to seminary, worked at a church. Worked at a church for about five years until it was discovered the senior pastor I was having multiple affairs that predated when I came on as staff as the youth director. Used so much of the money in a more than a million dollar church. Eventually I quit and I chose to go hike the Appalachian Trail where I did all, a lot of the wall in stage four. For six and a half months, I walked outside, walked from Georgia to Maine, slept outside in a tent that was uh, actually under the tent was my hammock. I, I slept in a tree hammock. Uh, but on that trail, I started doing my own interior journey, and I read The Dark Night of the Soul for myself. And I tried to read it before, and it didn't make sense. But something about after disappointment, The Dark Night of the Soul made perfect sense. All right? But then I started experiencing other people on the trail that were starting to experience God and these beautiful, exhausted sunsets at the end of every day. And so I'd have these fireside conversations with people. It was just gorgeous because there were Buddhists and atheists and Muslims and non, what's the, the nuns, you know, the unaffiliated and then the ex-churched and the still-churched and all these types. And what was so fascinating is that those titles can dissolve when we start talking about who God really is. You know? I don't know if I'm at stage five. We often think we're a little further ahead than we really are because we always want to look good at ourselves, you know? But I was so fortunate to have some very wonderful mentors, people that were living and then people from church history that helped to coach me through my own wall and to do some of my own interior journey, which I would say I'm still doing. Okay? But that's a little bit of my own story. That's how I saw my life through it. For you, if you're willing, can you share what from the circle connected with you? What was said or which one of these stages felt like an aha moment for you? Can someone share? Anyone? Okay, a question about the exterior journey. 
Sure. Well, we tend to relate to people in one way when we're at stage two. We want to tell people what they need to know. Because we just all of a sudden got inflated egos with what we just learned from some book. However, when we start doing the exterior journey, we're now relating to people through our vulnerability, not through what we know. Does that make sense? Yeah. So what aha moments happened to some of you as we talked through the circle? Right. Absolutely. The wall, you're absolutely right. We might have multiple walls. And they might be echoes of the first wall because we didn't do the first wall well. You know? Nothing makes a wall last longer than denying that it's happening. Although, some people do that. We all do that. Right. Well, this is not a wall to get over. This is a wall to go deep through. No. No. And in fact, I see you. Um, Job. Job. At this point, by the way, the name Job probably means lawyer in Hebrew. The book of Job is a guy trying to bring his lawsuit to God. And then God shows up with a counter lawsuit. I got questions for you, right? So all of a sudden, we've got to stop and realize it's actually an act of faithfulness to question God. Not faithlessness to question God. Go ahead. Thank you. That was powerful. I think um, transformation is, is uh, it's like a catalyst. Once it happens in one person, it's easy for it to start happening in concentric circles. Um, let's go one more. What do we need? Sure. Let's do the, the last slides because I think it touches on some of this, all right? And it's true, I would be happy to talk about this stuff further with anyone. Uh, you've changed, we're supposed to. If you don't ever look back at who you used to be and cringe, you haven't been growing. <laughs> if you do look back and cringe, great job, you've been growing. Now, last thing, and then be done. The Greek word, which was uh, the word for mature, it's often used in the New Testament. This is the word that uh, the letter of Hebrews uses. It's translated by some scholars as perfect. However, it also translates as goal and purpose or mature. How many of you know that Bible verse that says, be perfect as God is perfect? What if we were to translate as be mature in love as God is mature in love? Because that verse shows up at the end of a paragraph about loving your enemies. The mature, transformed person is the one that can even love their enemies. I don't live up, I don't live up to it, but we definitely have a very good model in Christ who says, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. So let me say one benediction, I'll be done. May you be light and life and love to the people around you. May you heal the suffering that you find in yourself and you find in the world, and may the Christ be with you every step of this transformative path. Amen.